The Staff and Graph Podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. And looks for salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I am Mike Stevens of Sports Illustrated and the Hockey News, and sitting across from me is the one, the only future first female GM in NHL history, Rachel Dory. Rachel, how are you doing? I am in a good mood today. Like, a, such a good mood. Everyone, okay, so everyone last podcast was like, what is Mike on? Whatever you were on last episode, I am like that times 10 right now. <laughs> I don't know what it was because I maybe it's because we don't usually record like in the middle of the day because I was like I, I didn't do anything different but I guess I was just like more fresh but it, I got so many comments being like like whatever Mike whatever drug Mike is on like I want it I'm like cool well I mean I'm on, I'm not really like not on not ones that on make drugs. me go crazy <laughs> well I'm on like I'm not on on Those. recreational ones let's yeah. just put it that way so it's but it's, I don't know what was going on coffee I guess also just pure uncut Colombian heroin, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But other than that, I need to ask because you can see me and everybody else can't, but I keep getting like feedback and I know these people listen to the podcast. What? what? Am I tan or are people dumb? No, you're tan. Okay. You're more tan than I am (laughs) because I only, I can't tan. I have to say it is. It's definitely the half Asian jeans, but like I was outside on the weekend for like maybe three hours and I had a bunch of friends be like, um, you don't, you are not the same already. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get a different opinion because you only see me like sparingly, but okay. I guess it's true. (laughs) I want, I want to talk, like, I want to highlight the difference between you and I's tanning. I, okay, so you're like, well, I was only outside for three hours and I got some color, you know. Rachel, I've been sunburned <laughs> while inside multiple times. Like, it is, <laughs> that is how pale I am. I have been sunburned by sitting next to a sunny window before, okay? Incredible. Like, I don't, like, that is, that is a skill that I didn't know that anyone had. Conversely, I, like, you've seen the window. I could go to Hawaii yeah. and not get sunburned. <laughs> Like you're, if I was outside for three hours, I like there, I'd be a lobster. <laughs> and I am not even like you're tan, but like, you know, it looks normal. Like if I was outside for three hours without like sunscreen or anything on, like it would be like, I'd be way, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed the next day. Good stuff. All right. It would so be, you and it I would be definitely horrible. have different genes. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm as I like, I'm as white as it gets. I'm like Irish in part like British, like it, you know, you're, and you're like half Asian and German. Like you, you got the German part of it. So you're good. But anyway, let's move on to the headlines, but we have a great guest coming up by the way. Uh, the athletics, Harmon Dial. Yo, I'm so stoked for Harmon to come on. Like he was on in when Ian was here and, uh, he was fantastic. Like Harmon is genuinely, when we talk about giving young people a chance and why that's important. He's Doogie Hauser. <laughs> Harmon is a perfect example because he understands like the whole hockey network, like old boys club kind of thing. But he also brings just a totally different 
perspective and opinion. And I think that's why he's kind of like my go-to for Vancouver um, or just even generally um, getting a pulse on things because like he just brings such a fresh perspective because he's younger. He's more youthful. Like it's just, oh, I'm so excited to have Harmon on. Like it's going to be fantastic. He's, he's the, he's Jimmy Neutron. He's the boy genius, man. Like that kid was, he's, he's literally a kid. I'm pretty sure I'm like three years old. We're, we're three, like three years older than him. It's, it's insane. This kid, I can't believe it. It's, it's incredible. All right. We're on to headlines. The Oilers, um, the Oilers and I guess Oilers fans specifically for two reasons have not had a great, um, last little bit. Um, so I definitely want to talk a, a little bit about that. Let's talk quick about the, uh, the real shitty part about this, which is fans, uh, you know, Ethan Bear did not have a Steve Dangle put it great. Whereas Ethan Bear, you know, he didn't have a great, great game, uh, game four. I was going to say seven. They make it seven game four. Um, and he's essentially getting the Jake Gardner treatment, but racist. Right. And that is basically what's happening. He has been flooded with, you know, racist comments because he's a, a first nations person. Um, and that's just, I mean, uh, what the hell guys? Like, let's just make this, I don't know if it needs to be made any more clear, but, like, that is unacceptable. Like... That's abhorrent. It's absolutely... And you know what? I was actually pleasantly surprised by Ken Holland's response when he was asked in the press Mm -hmm. conference. He spent, like, two minutes discussing just how disgusted he was by the commentary. Connor McDavid spoke out about it as the captain of the team on behalf of the team. Um, I've heard through the grapevine that like every teammate has reached out to him um, just to like offer support, which is good. Like we need that. But Ken Holland coming out and completely denouncing that was important. Um, The whole like making the video like to me, not only is it completely unacceptable, but like if there are actually faces to these accounts, they should be banned from not only just like social media, but the Oilers should look to ban them from attending games as well. Cause you do that's, we don't want that. Yeah. You're not a fan. If you do that, like you should be like, if they, if they you're not even a good literally person. should go through, like, I, I would, if I was the Oilers, like you have money to burn, I would literally hire like a tech company to go through those people's Twitter accounts, like trace their IPs back to like back to whoever they are and ban those people from purchasing a ticket for the Edmonton Oilers. Because you like, you can't, first of all, that's just like just horrendous, terrible, terrible, just like behavior and even this wasn't even the only one so yesterday was the Europa oh League final and Marcus Rashford who I don't know if you know this but he spent the entire pandemic campaigning again or campaigning with British or against British Parliament because they reneged on like the meals for kids so like um children who are less fortunate that can't afford meals at home the schools provide them so that they don't go hungry yeah and during the pandemic the government canceled that plan oh and God. marcus rashford was like absolutely not and campaigned to the point where he got companies on board and ended up pressuring the uk government into changing the legislation and after the europa league final yesterday where manchester united didn't win he got like tons of racist remarks on his twitter feed and like it's just awful the fact that there are more than one like the fact there's more than one example within 24 hours is absolutely ridiculous yeah and and just like ethan bear he is so 
first of all, he's an incredibly talented young defenseman. Like if you're like if you're if you're gonna choose someone to go after, definitely not him. But also and like probably not him. But also like don't go after anyone in this way. This is horrible. He's like he, this is a proud person, a proud member of the indigenous community. He's he, a role model. He's a role like, model. We want people to be what Ethan Bear. Think about how like hockey is such a white man sport. We already yeah. know this. And we're going to pick on one of the very few people in the indigenous community who has cracked through all the barriers to get to the NHL level and actually be an impactful player. No, we're definitely not going to be doing that. We're going to be supporting him. Frankly, I would like to see the Oilers in the NHL allow Ethan Bear to wear his name in Cree on the back of his jersey if he wants to, like, permanently. Yeah, well, I mean, In the same way they added the umlaut, like, why can't Ethan Bear wear his last name in Cree if he so chooses? I also want to just, like, clarify something here, too. Like, guys, it's hockey. It is not that big of a deal. He had a bad hockey game. Not like no actions warrant this, but especially not having a bad hockey game. It does not warrant you to come and attack him for his race, for what he identifies as, where he's from. That's like, I I can't believe that this has to be said. But if you're someone like again, like just absurd. We like, I just want to make it very clear that we stand with with Ethan Bear on this. And and we are with Ethan Bear. Yeah. Of course. And it's very, very good to see. And, and you know, just like not that I, I didn't think they were going to do it, but just to see the the vigor of the response from the team and the captain and the, the management, and everything. So glad uh, that they've taken they've taken that stance and that they've supported um, their teammates so much. All right. No, a more positive headline. A hugely positive headline. <laughs> John Tavares is goddamn Wolverine. This guy no, heals. He's a robot. He's a robot. I, I don't understand how this is happening. He was spotted skating at Scotiabank Arena. Today is exactly one week since he sustained, you know, the, that just absolutely horrific, uh, or he was he was part of that absolutely horrific scene um, on Scotiabank Ice where he Scotiabank Arena Ice where where he got basically need and then fell right into Corey Perry. His head snapped back. Rachel's gut reaction was he broke his neck. It looked like he did because he tried to get up and then fell back. It was it was just a, just a terrifying, traumatic scene. A calendar week later, the guy's skating on the ice. I, I How? So, okay, you know what this reminded me of? What? You know the movie The Iron Giant? Yes. Where, like, he gets exploded into 76 billion pieces, and then he, like, puts up this, like, bleep, bleep, and, like, everything comes back and his body is totally fine. Yeah. Like, I feel like John Tavares did, like, the bleep, bleep, and, like... Yeah. Magically skating. But one thing that was super bypassed all, for obvious reasons, because he lit, Like, I thought yeah. he broke his neck. Um, That was a dirty hit by Ben Sherrod. He stuck yeah. his knee out, and John Tavares has a knee injury, and everybody just glossed over that Can I part. say something? But Can I like, say something? We're not even talking yeah. about this if he doesn't stick Can his I say knee something? Out. Ben Sherrod's a dirty little shit. He really is. That I there has every single game he's done some dirty little shit behavior. He's bad. Like it's really like uh, you know I've really noticed in the series that he's he's bad. But this this guy is just you just notice only him, only him. Well, most of the Canadians are bad, <laughs> and we we didn't talk a little bit about that. But like it's it's just Ew. he uh, Ben Sherratt. I will say dirty little shit, but John Tavares skating around like I was the fact that this guy's not in like a dark room right now, like unable to to react to to sunlight or noises is such a like this is such a 
flabbergasted. This is pro- this is a best case scenario for his recovery. This is as good as oh, you could have. Oh, it's better ex- than that. <laughs> yes, this is as good as you possibly could have expected. Pro- pro- probably better than you possibly could have expected. Like, th- there's a chance that this guy comes back. Like, what? Like, obviously, we don't want to, you know, like forecast any timetables here. Everything takes. Like, concussions are. You can feel great one day and then feel like total shit the next. Like, it. It's not a linear kind of. Uh, 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 rehab I think it's uh, not outside of the realm of possibility that if the Leafs make the third round he is ready I was um, gonna say like it's a possibility I'm I don't I don't I don't want the second round stuff out there because all that does is put pressure yeah, yeah. you just we can't have that but the other thing that before he was seen skating on Thursday morning he saw that everyone had been donating to the John Tavares Foundation um, and he announced that he's matching every single donation up to $50,000. Wow. Um, based on the outpouring of support. Like, that is... It, it kind of goes to what Kyle Dubas said, and kudos to him for calling out the Toronto Sun. Um, but John, like John Tavares is such an upstanding, contributing member of the community that, like, it's fantastic to see this outpouring of support and the fact that people have kind of taken to this as... We're going to raise money for his foundation. Now he has decided he's going to match donations. Like that's incredible. That's and, and things we love to see like that. There's been multiple instances since John Tavares assigned as like signed with the Leafs. And I'm so glad this has happened where like the entire fan base has come together to show him how much he is loved. Like when it came to, you know, oh, to various T.O. night or whatever it was called, like where they gave him a standing ovation and made him like made the made the android cry as uh, it's a famous. Me thinks me thinks that uh, at the home opener next year when we're at oh my God, and, like I so like full disclosure, I will likely be there. Great. Um, and I may just take you with me. I would um, gosh darn hope so that th- when they. In, when they introduce the players one by one, the thunderous applause that this guy is going to get. Yeah. Will it better be, be the highest. It'll be incredible. And so, like, to me, I, I don't think that we're going to see fans for round two or three. I would be absolutely shocked if round three is even played mm-hmm. in Canada. Um, on the outside chance that it is, I hope that um, wherever, because we know Leaf fans are in every city, Whoever gets to attend playoff games, um, if they do, it better be loud. I better not see a suit. And then next year at the home opener, I really do think his reception is going to be incredible because you're just kind of seeing less so the hockey player and more so the person. Like we're seeing him on FaceTime and, and, and everything. It's just it's really heartwarming to see that he's recovering because I was genuinely like I was sick. Yeah thinking about it, it like we we saw that and it rattled us so much that we like we were gonna record after the game and we were just like we can't we're not in the right state of mind it was that scary no like i was basically i was like and now that tears. he is like skating around like he's he's i don't know it's Ugh. it's just like it boggled my mind when i saw that because i have tweet notifications for for you know like elliot and cj and all those guys when i saw that tweet notification pop up on my phone that john Tavares was skating i'm like i didn't believe it it was absurd all right Let's move on to plot points. What is trending up? What is trending down in hockey today? Trending up. I'm going to let Rachel take the reins on this one. Essentially trending up Rachel being right because Rachel has wanted to use this, this, uh, this podcast as a platform to essentially uh, uh, drop the mic, if you will. So Rachel, why don't you fill people in on how right you are? 
Well, it's not even just like being right. It's the fact that this guy straight up said that I don't have sources close to Taylor Hall. And so I said on the podcast, like pre-trade deadline slash deadline, like Taylor would have moved, like he would have said yes to other teams. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we had the incident last week with Canucks Twitter where they said they hope I get raped, which is not acceptable and not okay. Um, and this particular one particular guy is six days later still yelling about how I shouldn't work in hockey and I'm not to be trusted. This morning, Emily Kaplan put out an article about Taylor mm -hmm. Hall and in it, Taylor Hall is literally quoted as saying he would have gone to other cities. And so I decided to go back at this guy and be like, oh, it would seem as though I was correct on Taylor Hall. And for those of you who know why I'm correct on Taylor Hall, you will find this especially funny. Um, he decided to continue on in this thread and he argued for four hours with other people about how, uh, oh, um, Taylor Hall is lying because Kevin Adams, who is the current GM of the Buffalo Sabres, came out and was like, well, I really only had one option. Okay, so who's more likely to lie, Mike? The player who's no longer in the organization that doesn't care about it or the guy who's the GM that has to save face with the fans? <laughs> wow, that's a real tough decision, Rachel. Hmm. Um, I'm going to have to go with the guy uh, uh, who needs to save face. Right. So what we're <laughs> not going to do is accuse a player who finally decided to speak candidly of lying because that is how we don't get people specifically players in, in hockey, to say anything. Um, but yeah, I would say, and Mike can attest to this, when it comes to Taylor Hall, I'm probably not the person you want to be saying doesn't have good information. Yeah, man, Ra like Rachel, Rachel's got sources with Taylor Hall. I'm just shocked and just flabbergasted at the amount of free time it seems that people have. Like, this was an intricate lengthy thread that spanned multiple days like it's also it's not that big of a deal again it's just hockey like i keep pointing it also like, literally doesn't affect the canucks like how what? how the hell have we gone through a global pandemic and haven't figured out that there are bigger fish to fry here like it, th this pandemic has has changed yeah. my perception on what to get mad about so much where i like where I, I was howling at this entire thread i'm like because there's a few people that know, and, like, I sent it to them, and they were like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Like, incredible. I used to, like, stub my toe and get really pissed and, like, curse the world. And now it's like, you know what? I'm alive. My parents are alive. You know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not living on the street. Like, things are going pretty well. You know, I don't, I don't have the freaking global plague that has ravaged us. Like, there are so many bigger things to worry about. And I don't get these friggin' nerds who just sit on Twitter all day and argue about the dumbest shit. You're a Canucks fan? This has nothing to do with you. But you just want to feel right. You just want to feel right so bad. And how much energy and cost. Like, I have no... I have absolutely no gas tank. Like, I need to know, do you have a job? That's Probably like, not. I almost replied, do you have a job? I have like, no, I have, I have no barometer, like not barometer. I have no desire or gas tank for like drama, like Twitter drama and bullshit anymore. Like it is ridiculous. Anytime there's like a big scandal, like I miss me with that bullshit. Like I, I don't care because 
like we just lived through the plague. We're still in the middle of it, but we're like, we're coming out of it. Like, how can you not look at what has happened? The world, your life has changed, fundamentally changed. Your everything you knew once before is gone. And you're still being like, oh yeah, you know, this is definitely a fight I want to pick. This is multi, multi-day thing that I'm going to put my energy to. Shut up. Rachel's right. You're wrong. Shut up. That's what I have to say about that. Speaking of people shutting up, trending down. Rachel, no, speaking of <laughs> speaking of people uh, trending up, men that ma- Rachel has murdered in cold blood because <laughs> because Rachel killed a guy <laughs> today. Twice and, No, Rachel, Rachel straight up killed a guy today. And <laughs> so a little background here, like not we're not going to use names, but there, you know, like uh, there was a girl on Twitter. She was tweeting about stuff. Um, I think it was about like height. Right. It was about men. It was like, no, it was the fact that like Cole Caulfield wasn't playing in the lineup. Yeah. And this guy and this guy trying, you know, thinking he was he was a real smart Alec came at her and was like, oh, you don't seem to be too. You, you don't seem like you're in a position to be too picky about height, insinuating, you know, that that she, you know, beggars can't be choosers to which, first of all, out, outlandish statement. This guy's name is Renault. Second of all, yeah, the individual he directed that at is extremely pretty. Outland- so, like, outlandish what? statement. But so to which I tweeted at him, like, shut up, Renault. Like this guy. Also, he's a form. So we found out just by doing a little cursory, cursory thing. Actually, I'm going to pull I'm going to pull this up. So this is what happened. Well, OK, he went. First of all, he went on private. So, yeah, you know what, Rachel, go I for it. Go for decided- it. I had had enough because I like to wait in the weeds and I really only say something if it's completely obnoxious. And this was so obnoxious that I actually got a text message about it, which I rarely get. Right. So I'm like, okay, what is going on? I click through and I see this. I'm like, you are actually kidding. And so I elite prospects this guy and lo and behold, I see this. But then I am made aware that a tweet about this particular individual already exists because he's made an ass of himself multiple times previous. So I just went, I found the tweet that already had his EP stats, which show him to be below 900 in division three. And... He's three. He went to community college and was and was a sub nine hundred. Yeah. Do you know how hard that is? So he he, like, he he's in Division three, in in collegiate hockey, and also, so every other player, the youngest player, the second youngest player on his team, was born in nineteen ninety six. So our age, he was born in nineteen ninety four. So he is the oldest player on the team by two years, and I'm assuming I'm assuming the rest of his of, of you know th- those those people. The, the opponents that he's facing, they're relatively the same age. So essentially, he was getting sniped on. He only played three games that year, by the way. He was getting sniped on by kids who who were two years younger than him. And he has the audacity to come on Twitter and throw and and, and believe that he should be speaking for what women should uh, should desire and, and what their yeah, worth so is. Yeah, so I come, I quote tweet his elite prospects stat and go, "This you." Not only are you a brutal goalie, but you also don't seem to be a very good human being. What a catch you are. It, like, I, this is where I wish I had I wish I had a sliver of the confidence of these guys, because this guy is objectively shit at hockey. Like we saw that he's, he's it's essentially I also like to point out that he went from being a marketing intern to the CEO of a company that 
is very difficult to even find. So yeah, he he went he went from he essentially calls yeah. himself a CEO for a company that barely exists, and he puts that on LinkedIn, which a little ridiculous. But um, yeah, I, I wish I, that's embarrassing. It's like, extremely embarrassing. I wish I had the confidence of these guys because like I don't do like I I I, I don't I'm not necessarily super high on myself. This guy thinks he's like God's gift to women, and he can you know come on there and and dictate you know certain things when he's just a piece of shit div three goalie like at least have some have some pride no humility you know he was one of the guys that was like yeah i play ncaa oh my god like, he oh my no, god I, I can tell i can tell you exactly what his twitter what twitter profile He's or not boots twitter and hearts guy i can tell you what his tinder yeah. profile looks like just by like i've never I, I barely even seen his face i can tell you what his tin what his tinder profile looks like and it's not great he's holding a f- oh speaking of he's holding um, a fish speaking of tinder oh no what do you remember the individual that um that I sent you a couple of days ago on Hinge uh, regarding his opening line? Oh yeah, our man Aaron. Because I'm banned from Tinder, so I don't I can't do anything with Tinder. But yes, okay. So I, I was, remember this guy. I don't like I don't hang out on dating apps. I just have them. Um, and I check them like my Mike knows this. I check them maybe once a week. Like I'm terrible. Um. And I open it up and this guy's opening line to me, I'm literally not even kidding because I have the screenshot, is are you the reason the devils are bad? Yeah, that's a great pickup line. And which, which <laughs> to be fair, is somewhat true because I've crunched. Wait, what? Why? No, because you left and now they're bad. Oh, okay. Well, like got, Rachel, I have. I was about to say, no, like, no, no, I didn't no, no, make no, them no. bad. You made them bad by leaving. I've I've told you I've I've crunched the numbers. I did the I did the the oh, the yeah. pre the I, not the pre the during jury uh jury during Dory era stats and the post Dory era stats and the post Dory era stats they're not looking too good. Let me just put it that way. So they're not hot. They're not they're not hot. Yeah. So gentlemen, if you're gonna, sp- I can't speak for all women, but if you are gonna try oh, and hit please, on me, that's probably not the way to go about it. Please speak on all men by for for all men. Absolutely, we love that. And also, men, stop being dicks on on social media. Like, why is this so difficult to comprehend? Although, I have figured out that reading comprehension and critical thinking are not things that are common anymore. Listen, I say this as a guy, as a white man even. Men are objectively trash. We all suck. Like, like, uh, there, I don't know what's wrong with this gender, but the, the, the shit that, (laughs) the shit that I see is absolutely absurd. Like, I remember, it's funny, like, when I was covering... There have been so many times where, like, prominent people in hockey have seen, like, what type of things men say to me on Twitter, and they'll come in my DMs and be like, I am sorry on behalf of the gender. It's absurd. Like, I want to... Like, here's an example is when I was covering... Like, I I don't understand the audacity for something like this. This is how men are shit. Like, when I was covering the Marlies a couple years ago, I was... uh, uh, When I was dating someone... A player on the Marlies followed me on Instagram on Christmas Eve. I don't know why. Christmas Eve doesn't have anything to do with this, but like basically he should not have been doing these things on Christmas Eve. And he proceeded to like every one of my Instagram pictures that had my ex-girlfriend in it and then liked a bunch of her pictures. And I wanted to know what his what his goal was with that. Are you expecting me to put in a good word for you? Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> or like, I am three way. Like, I don't know right what's now, going on here, sir. But what are you doing? I will tell you who it is. Like after 
Although you can probably guess, like yes. it's it, it's there. I probably can, yeah. Um, but it, it it's like that. That is a great distillation. Like I remember thinking of that and being like, "Where do you get the audacity right. to do this?" I don't understand. All right, and uh, uh, trending. Lastly, lastly, trending up. Weird vibes in Florida. Speaking of men being weird, <laughs> Bill Zito is putting out some weird vibes. So what's he doing, Rachel? So, like everybody he hasn't hired is being pushed out. Um, so we're talking about like Reese Jessup, Cam Lawrence, Josh Wiesbach. Like we're talking about the guys who found Carter Verhage yeah. and Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau and signed Huberto and Barkoff to those sweetheart contracts, like valuable members of the organization. People who are arguably responsible for, uh, you know, how good the team was <laughs> this year. Any shred of success. Uh, yes. Managed to get Jared McCann for Eric Goodbranson. That, that's absurd. Um, okay, so he's pushing them out. Um, also, I've heard some really weird like shit surrounding Bill Zito. Like what? In that, like, he will get on the ice with the black aces and start doing drills with them. I don't know. I kind of like that. That's kind of cool. No, you don't as a GM get on the ice with your general manager. What are what? Why not? That's that's kind of fun. Absolutely not. No, because it's a it's a control method. Oh. Like how so? Yeah. Like how so? It's a method of to exercise control cuz normally the extras are out there um obviously cuz they're not playing. And if your GM's out there watching you, like Yeah, but isn't that your weird. isn't that your job? <laughs> like to to no, 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 no. You could watch from the press box. Ray watched from his office all the time. That's true. You don't need to go out there and participate in the drills. Okay. I get that. I don't know. Um, yeah, a little odd. Um, so he's pushing out guys that have, have helped the organization succeed. He's um, going on the ice with players. And then we have the Quenville situation. Oh. And so Quenville is not... A Bill Zito hire. Quenville was a talent hire. Um, and when Quenville was hired, he was promised a seat at the table with ownership when it came to player personnel decision making. Okay. Right. I keep hearing from like people that I can't f- even fit on one hand that Bill Zito doesn't like that and isn't going to give Q control. And we saw what happened in Chicago when that happened. When they just traded Nicholas Jomerson and Q stormed out of the hotel. Why? Why do... This makes me so mad. Hockey... Do you not think that Joel Quenville probably would have played Spencer Knight in game one if he didn't have Bill Zito looking over him? Because look who played in game five and six in the do or die games. Like, I feel like that says enough, doesn't it? Hockey is the dumbest sport on the planet. (laughs) How many, you have one of the best, if not the best coaches in the league. The best active coach in the league. You have the best active coach in the league. And you're going to fuck it up. How? I genuinely think we could see Quenville resign. And so this is my bold prediction. Okay. And my tinfoil hat theory. I think we could see Quenville resign. Because coaches are allowed to do that. And if you resign, they're not obligated to pay your contract out. And I think he has three years left at five and a half million. So they're, I highly doubt they're going to fire him. Like, I don't think that ownership would give that blessing. Um, but I, I, there's, there's a part of me that thinks that Joel Quenville may end up as the head coach in Seattle. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that Zito clearly wants to bring in his own people, and that's fine. You can everyone's entitled, but to not when the people, people who are there are Joel Quenville. But not so. The, the rule I have is you better not fire someone if you can't replace them with someone better. And you can't. You just straight up can't with this. And you can't with Joel Quenville. So to me, if you don't like that he has a say in personnel, well, that decision was made before you got there. And you're just going to have to deal with that and be able to work amicably with him. And if you can't, then that's more that says more about you than it does about him. And that was a decision that was made above your pay grade. That was a decision made by ownership. You are not the owner. You are the GM and you just inherited the best active coach in the NHL. It should not be a stretch for you to make it work. Make it fucking work. So I think that my tinfoil hat theory is I know Quenville has a lot of respect for guys like Cam Lawrence, Josh Wiesbach, Reese Jessup. Um, I actually do know that he like values uh, analytics. So it probably doesn't sit well with him that that they're leaving. Um, But I I seriously wouldn't be surprised that if things get a little tenuous um, in the next few weeks, if Quenville ends up as the head coach in Seattle. Wow. Um, I've, I've heard that from a few people now that say it's a very, it's not a slam dunk, but it's a very real possibility. Hot take. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, we'll have to. It, it could be, could be a thing. We'll have to take a look at that. We'll have to keep a, keep an eye on that moving forward. All right. I think it's, I think it's basically going to be Q or Rick talking. Ugh. Well, I know which one I'd rather have. So <laughs> I definitely, I think anybody would rather, like, could you imagine if Q resigns? How many coaches are immediately on the hot seat? If Q resigns, like you're like, I think the only one who is like, there's like what John Cooper would be safe. Keith would be safe. Other than that, like Travis Green would be safe. Yeah, because he just resigned too. I don't know. Like it. But like if I'm the New York Rangers and I hear that he resigned, here is $11 billion to come. Here is the Empire State Building. (laughs) Take this. Literally. (laughs) And coach our team. You can do whatever you want with it. Just here's our team. All right. Anyway. Anyway. But yeah, that's. That. Before we welcome on the lovely and talented Harmon Dial onto the podcast, a quick word from our sponsor. I love that. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me the resources that were once reserved for big business, and it's customized to your needs. You get a great-looking online store that really helps bring your ideas to life and tools to manage the day-to-day and drive sales. And I'm speaking about this from experience. I'm really passionate about bass fishing. And a little over five years ago, I started an e-commerce bass fishing brand with my best friend Aaron called Woo Tungsten. Actually, it's pronounced Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark, because that's the sound you make when you catch a giant bass. And it was a no-brainer to do this on Shopify because they've made it so easy every step of the way from creating product listings to making discount codes to managing shipments. In fact, if you want to see what an e-commerce store looks like on Shopify, go to wootungsten.com and you can see. And it's no wonder that every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. You can get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. And you can gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. 
Go to shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial, and you'll get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today, just like me, just like Wu Tungsten, by going to shopify.com slash bluewire right now. That's shopify.com slash bluewire. Well, we've got, I, I, I called them... Previously, I called him Jimmy Neutron before, the boy genius, because this is this is who we have here. It's the athletics, Harmon Dial. Harmon, how you doing, buddy? Thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm doing really well. Thanks for thanks for having me. I'm, I can already tell it's going to be a, a vibe. We're, we're all good friends here, so I'm um, mm-hmm. looking forward to a fun chat here. Hell yeah. Now, I've got, a, I've got a very, you know, just deeply burning question about the Canucks. We're going to talk some Canucks. It's been nuts. Um, my, my question that I, I want to ask you. What the hell is going on over there, man? What what is happening? <laughs> well, I I gotta say, do you have a day like twelve hours for this podcast <laughs> yeah. to run? Like, that, like I'm gonna need a lot of time to to explain. But um, no, I mean, in all seriousness, it's it, it's been kind of crazy, right? Um, to mm-hmm. see what happened. First of all, in the bubble, you know, the team pushes Vegas to seven games uh, in the second round of the playoffs. And, you know, that was, if that was the apex of, of the proverbial mountain, it's crazy how we've sunk to rock bottom and it's been less than 12 months. And I think it all started in last off season when the club lost literally every unrestricted free agent it had, including Toffoli, Markstrom, Tanev, Stetcher, and some of those, and some of them you could understand, right? Like Markstrom and Tanev, they got... Yeah. They got big checks from Calgary, but Toffoli was one that really stung. And um, I think that kind of hurt even going into this season internally. I think the team's kind of morale where the club thought while well, the players believe that, Hey, they had something special going there. And then you take such a notable step back on paper, especially because um, the club's marquee addition, who actually thought the trade at the time was um, pretty reasonable acquiring Nate, Nate Schmidt for a third round pick. But for yeah. whatever reason, he didn't really fit on the back end. And um, the the club, because of some of the other uh, some of the other players they lost, they just Vancouver's never really had enough depth. And I think um, once you kind of examine the roster, I think that was, you know, this Canucks team was one that probably overachieved last uh, mm. last season, if we're if we're being completely honest. I think Travis Green and the coaching staff did a tremendous job of literally squeezing whatever juice they could from that Canucks roster. Um, they were kind of elevated by outstanding goaltending all throughout last season. And, and because of that, I think um, you had a slow start to a couple of the top guys. And, and when you don't have the depth to kind of step up, it, it's almost like you have a pitcher and he can only, he only has, he only has the one fastball he can throw. And so mm. at the start of the year, the Canucks lost the sizzle on their heater and because they don't have a changeup or a curveball, they have zero depth. It's it's like things things fell apart really quickly in, in the North Division. Would you say that the reason the Canucks lack depth is because the money that they allocated to the depth is being spent poorly? Absolutely, I think it's. Uh, I, I mean, Canucks fans at this point are uh, are well aware of it, right? I mean, Jay Beagle for three million, uh, Antoine Roussel oh for three God. million, um, even Tanner Pearson just just happened. 
Yeah, I mean, although at least at least with him, it's like he's at least playing and like he's at least helping out in the middle six. Mm-hmm. Although there are absolutely worries that you know year two or year three that contract could be another inefficient one. But then obviously Louis Erickson, who's still kicking around, I Ooh. almost forget him point um i mean the connects even had sven berici buried in, in the minors and so it's it's one of those situations where even moving ahead to next season once you add uh the three million dollar roberto luongo recapture penalty um roughly a quarter Which, by the way is such a stupid rule absolutely just preposterous um <laughs> you allowed the contract to go you don't just get to all of a sudden decide oh actually we don't like that and by the way we're going to penalize you for it no you allowed it like, yeah yeah retroactively punishing a legal contract at the time is very stupid but we're we're in vancouver we're kind of conditioned to you know kind of being screwed over that way but um yeah it's like a quarter of the team's cap space is kind of committed to replacement level talent um, and that doesn't even get into contracts for guys like Tyler Myers that may be a hindrance down the road. So it's it's kind of been like that's been the primary concern, right? Like that's been the elephant in the room for this Canucks organization is the way they've managed the cap. And it's kind of why the window for them to take advantage of the the bright young core they have has has been delayed. If, if Jim Benning just put his pocket book away or just put his phone away, I guess, on July 1st, I think he'd be looked at completely differently. Maybe not completely differently, but a lot differently because I don't think his trades have been that bad. Uh, it, his drafting has been OK, obviously, like that's kind of the only thing that's kind of really keeping him in town. But his signings just been so terrible. And so now we go into an offseason where a big sort of hot commodity that we've talked about and, and, and heard about from all of these general managers that are doing their ex interviews is buyouts. And. Do we think that the Vancouver Canucks might exercise some of these buyouts? And if so, who would they potentially target? Yeah, like where are the cap savings, right? Because there's guys, you had an article and it was great where you broke down, okay, you can buy out this guy, but here's really the cap savings. And it's like almost negligible. Whereas there were some other candidates who went through that, the the actual tangible money you get back um, is is there. Um, I think Jake Vertanen kind of goes without saying but who are some of the other guys you've identified that you think the Canucks either could or should buy out? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously, as you kind of mentioned, you, um, you know, anytime you're talking about a buyout, you have to contrast it to the oppor- opportunity cost of just, you know, burying a guy in the minors, right? Because you can bury up to, um, I, I, I think it's just a little bit over 1.1 million um, in cap savings if you bury a guy like Erickson in the minors. So, uh, in the minors. so um, that has to be considered. And I think to that extent, um, you know, for Tannen and, and obviously his situation, there's um, the hockey side of it almost feels, you know, irrelevant at this point. There's, you know, the investigation going on with um, sexual assault allegations. And, yeah. Um, so I think from that perspective, I mean, there's no way he's coming back to, to Vancouver and suiting up for this hockey team again. And I think um, the buyout there makes, uh, makes sense. I actually wrote about it from the hockey perspective before any of this surface midseason, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, that one makes sense. The hit, the hit because of his age, he's only owed one third of his, uh, of his money. Right. Whereas most guys players age 26 or older on buyouts are owed two thirds. So the math works favorably there. And I'd expect for Tannen to be bought out uh, beyond that. That's where it gets interesting because you enter this dilemma of, I think the second most attractive candidate would be Braden Holpe, although I think Vancouver's hopeful 
that they can either, you know, retain some salary or in a potential trade kind of figure out a way to, to send him off to another team, whether that's Seattle or somewhere else. Um, the problem there is the Canucks would save a significant amount of cap if they bought him out. I think it's 3.8 million. If I, if I'm not mistaken, the problem is if you buy him out and take advantage of that, uh, of that extra cap space this off season, you of course have the penalty the year after, which is 1.9 million. And right. that, and that's where you enter that dilemma, right? Because next season, the Canucks are handcuffed because they still have to give raises to Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Next year is not going to be an all in year where the Canucks can make, uh, can be realistic contenders. 2022, 23. So the year after is when Erickson's off the books, when Beagle's off the books, when Roussel's off the books, when the recapture penalty is gone. And so two years from now is when the Canucks actually have the flexibility to make substantial upgrades, to take that all in shot, to be a contender. And it's also the last year of Horvat and Miller's contracts before they hit the open market. So very high stakes season two years from now, right? And so that's where you have to ask yourself, is the extra cap space we earned this offseason on Holpe's contract worth potentially undermining your ability to really go all in in two years when you can actually compete for a cup? And that's where you enter kind of the potentially polluted incentives of you have Jim Benning and he's clearly in kind of, and, and this would be true for any GM, right? He's had seven years in Vancouver, and it's clear at this point that he has to make the playoffs to keep his job um, beyond next season. So you talk about the money, and I'm right there with you. I think um, that year after next is is a really important one, but I mean, I've been paying attention to what's been happening in Vancouver, and you and I have talked about it quite a bit. Do like If you're a Canucks fan, or just anyone generally... You've seen what Jim Benning's done over the past seven years. With the opportunity coming in 2022, do you trust that he's going to make the correct decisions with all of with the money available to him to actually get the Canucks in a place that they can contend? Or is he kind of completely rushed all that that trust away with how he's managed the cap and, and money uh, during his tenure thus far? Right. So every general manager has strengths and weaknesses, right? Um, and so I think... with e- It's always a good sign when you start with that. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, always a good sign. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, for every team at its... Depending on where you're at in your competitive cycle and what you're trying to achieve, there are different priorities and skill sets that matter more, right? So when you're rebuilding, drafting matters a ton, right? You need to acquire your foundational pieces. When you're in that um, sort of, when you're coming out of a rebuild and looking to contend and take that next step, that's where a team's top priorities shift away from, you know, drafting still matters, but then it becomes instead, how are we going to manage the cap? Like that becomes your number one priority that all these contenders How have are we to... circumventing the cap? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at what teams like Tampa are able to do. Um, you look at the kind of uh, the cap juggling that Vegas has had to do. Um, and so that becomes, you know, your top priority. Another top priority is just pro scouting and being able to kind of find diamonds in the rough. Do what, for, for example, and I don't think Florida is an example of a great run organization yet, but you look at <laughs> yeah. what they did, right? Like in terms of building a supporting cast, they did really well right. on the pro scouting side of things. So I think if you look at what the Canucks need to do at this stage in their competitive cycle, 
um, being able to efficiently allocate capital and finding uh, market efficiencies and just generally undervalued players it are probably some of the top traits you need in a general manager right now. And if you ask right. yourself if Jim Benning possesses those traits based off of his track record, history would say that those are not his strengths. So that's why the confidence level of this fan base is quite low. And it, and it's especially that way because we had exit meetings um, with the media um, with Jim right. Benning last Friday, and he talked about how aggressive he wants to be on the trade market and in free agency to make the playoffs next year. And that's where, again, I talked about the polluted incentives, right? Where like, this is, you know, I ran a poll on Twitter um, about a week ago at the end of the season, when it first was announced that Jim Benning was coming back, I said, yes, no, or unsure. Would you like Jim Benning back as Canucks general manager? And less than 10% of Canucks fans over with over, 11,000 votes casted voted yes. Less than 10%. So fan confidence there is really Holy low. Shit. I think if the Canucks if the Canucks get off to a rough start in in the fall and fans are back in the stands, like this is a management group that risks getting Mike Gillis treatment. And what I mean by that is the fire is fire banding chance the same way Canucks fans had fire Gillis chance reverberating around Rogers Arena and, you know, they would die for Mike Gillis right now. Yeah. They I, would die to have Mike Gillis right now. Yeah. And, and so it, it becomes one of those situations where Benning and management just generally is under an immense amount of scrutiny to turn this around quickly. And again, it's where you have to ask yourself, like ideally the Canucks play this offseason in a calculated and disciplined fashion and just all kind of almost eat next season, right? Like you try and, and try and do your best. And because the Pacific is weak, you maybe can find a way to score week into the playoffs but really your priority should be two on two years from now like that should be your pride that should be um you know where your your eyes are at um in terms of building a contender but you have to ask yourself if that's really going to be the top priority of a general manager that's in a mode of uh, of self-preservation like have we not heard that from the canucks for seven years now like this like jim benning uh, jim benning came on in what 2014 and it seems like the Canucks have been, you know, oh, we got to look at like two years away or whatever. Ever since he came on, how is this guy still employed? Like, I just like just full stop. Like how and and the on off like there is he's going to be yes. fired. He's not going to be fired. Like what what was going on there? But but I even look at it as like, OK, so maybe he does. He, maybe he's not the best like in the hockey perspective. Fine. But usually if you if you what you lack in, in maybe sort of like the analytical skill that he does, you'd make up for it in, you know, being a being a smooth talker, someone who, you know, could could grease the palms, could keep these people, you know, keep your bosses enjoyed, you know, that kind of stuff. How is he able to keep his job when he's essentially incapable of talking? The guy's incapable <laughs> of being a of of like I can't imagine him wooing an organization, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an ownership staff. How is he still there? Yeah, I think the that kind of raises a question of where ownership kind of lies in all of this, and, and that's yeah, I think quietly where a lot of the fan base has kind of moved beyond. Um, like people know again the strengths and weaknesses of Jim Benning, and it's become a question now. I think where fan bases are the fan base is wondering about. Um, ownership's potential responsibility and how this rebuild project is kind of tracked. And, you know, the, the one thing that kind of sticks out to me is 
when you look at Francesco Aquilini and kind of the fall of that 2011 core, uh, when Mike Gillis, you know, during his late, you know, just prior to when he was fired, um, I think, I, I believe it was at the end of the 2013 season where the Canucks were limited in the first round for a second consecutive season. Um, it was reported that he pitched ownership on the idea of let's, let's, do a retool here, right? Like, let's mm-hmm. try and sell off some pieces. Which would have been the appropriate yeah. choice then. Yeah, it, it, the idea there was let's sell off some of our pieces and try and build towards, you know, let's say in three or four years, taking one last crack at it with the Sedins. Um, ownership turned that down, right? And so when the year after in 2013-14, where things kind of fell off the tracks and they missed the playoffs, at that point, it was abundantly clear that this is an organization that uh, that needs to rebuild. I mean, you had John Tortorella in his one year in Vancouver yeah. towards the end taking shots at how this is a stale core. And he was 100% right. Uh, but what did they do? They, yeah. they kind of brought in Trevor Linden and they brought Jim Benning in. And clearly the mandate was, we just want to be competitive and continue making the playoffs. I mean, we, we had quotes from Trevor Linden on local radio talking about, Oh, we can't, uh, we can't tear this thing down while we have the Sedins. We can't rebuild blah, blah, blah. And I think over the last seven years, the underlying issue and has almost been the, the, the organization's vision. And I think the vision aspect comes down to ownership and, and the fact that they, have consistently tried to have have wanted a manager that cuts corners to try and get into the playoffs as soon as possible, rather than trying to prioritize the long-term ambition of actually winning a Stanley Cup. Because when Benning initially took over in 2014, um, you look at some some of his moves in the first couple of seasons, they traded away more draft picks than they acquired. They signed Louis Erickson contract. They traded away some of their young prospects, like the McCann trade. Uh, for Erica Branson. And so the club seemed to prioritize short-term results and they didn't sell off some of their aging pieces that they could have still cashed in for futures. And it became one of those situations where the Canucks did the losing of a rebuilding team, but they didn't actually do any of the things that an actual rebuilding team should do in terms of weaponizing cap space. And the list just goes on and on. So they did, they did the losing, but not the building part. Yeah. It's like they, they, they didn't do much aside from just taking advantage of the top 10 picks. Right. Uh, And so from that perspective, outside of the draft, there wasn't an organizational commitment to the long-term vision of winning a Stanley cup. And, and that's where like the Canucks have gone back and forth. Right. And if, if you follow this team for a while, there are like last off season, the Canucks were conservative. They let every single one of their unrestricted free agents go this off season. They're going to be aggressive two years, two off seasons ago, they were aggressive. And so it's like this constant, like, you know, in one off season, they're hitting the accelerator and making and making these free agent signings and trade and trades to try and win now. And then on the other hand, they realize that oh, we've handcuffed ourselves from a cap perspective, and it's why um, the club's kind of in this precarious position. And, and for that, I don't blame Jim Benning alone. I think a lot of that comes down to ownership, and I think increasingly they've become meddling in terms of the influence that they have on some of the club's decision making process, like. The Canucks did not make an offer to Tyler Toffoli, and Jim Benning's taken a lot of heat for that. But you know what mm-hmm. else happened that did not allow the Canucks to even make that offer? Ownership didn't approve a buyout that 
would have been required for them to try and make that effort to resign to Foley, right? So I think the issue right. in Vancouver isn't just, hey, this is Jim Benning. I think increasingly it's about ownership has to prioritize actually trying to win a Stanley Cup um, at some point. So on that ilk here, like you talk about not getting, essentially they've got the purse strings tightened, right? And you know they're saying you never send a puppy to clean up its own mess, right? Do you think that ownership potentially took those purse strings and the privilege of, of using a buyout away because they've seen, okay, if we give this management group money, they, it, it gets mismanaged. So we're not going to give them money because they've shown they only know how to mismanagement. Like they, I don't know that they've made one good cap decision in like almost a decade. Um, do you think that that's part of the reason? And if you think that is part of the reason, then it's clear that ownership doesn't trust Jim Benning. Why not fire him? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, obviously I think part of it is, has to do with, uh, with the pandemic and kind of the, like the Aquilini's are own restaurants, hotels. And so those have been hit quite hard by the pandemic. So, um, especially, and this is kind of the ironic part, the one year that the Canucks made the playoffs and actually, you know, went deep and, and went to game seven of the second round was a year where they couldn't have fans in the stands and collect that, that, uh, home playoff gate revenue. Right. So that kind of, you know, was definitely, I think a, a hindrance, um, and I think that's kind of factored into the decision for why the Canucks haven't made a potential change either is Jim Benning still has um, still has term and money left on his own contract. And I don't know how much appetite ownership really has to, to be in a position where they're paying a general manager not to manage the, manage the team where I don't think they want to ideally be paying two GMs. So I think that definitely plays a part into it. Um, but the one takeaway that I kind of had um, at the end of uh, this season was it, there seemed to be a pointed emphasis on giving management every resource to improve the team this off season. Um, and that's where the bio discussion came in. And they, and I feel they like were they asked should hire point, like Cam and Josh. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they were asked point blank about it. So I do think the purse strings are going to open up again, but it's been the way they've, the way they've kind of managed, you know, give, you know, in terms of the authority and, and kind of freedom that they've given management to make decisions last off season, I, again, because of their prior mistakes, you can kind of understand it. But if they didn't have trust in management to make those decisions, as you kind of mentioned, you either trust management or you don't, right? There's no, there shouldn't be a wishy-washy mm-hmm. middle ground where it's like, we're going to meddle here and we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to stick our nose in here and, and kind of evaluate kind of these potential decisions on our own. It's either you trust them or you don't. And so I think, going into this off season, I think they've kind of made the, made the decision that, okay, we do trust them and we're going to let them um, make the financial commitments necessary to try and improve the hockey club. And you talk about ownership being wishy-washy too. And it seemed like they're even wishy-washy on whether or not Benning was coming back because all of the, you know, all, all of the, the conversation around it was he's not coming back. And then Elliot Friedman drops that bomb out of nowhere saying, you know, he's essentially expected to return. And look, we all got boothed. Let's just admit that <laughs> right off the hop. Like, come on. We all did. I like, no, you did. 
Hey, I didn't tweet, but I fully believed it, and I was about to, and then I stopped myself, okay? I was smart, but everyone else got boothed, myself included. But it seemed like, like, what, what happened there with the, with the miscommunication? Why did everyone think this guy was gone, and reputable people seemed to think this guy was gone, and then out of nowhere, he's just back? What happened there? Yeah, well, I've got to be honest. I learned pretty early in the process that even when the narrative swings one way or another, regardless of which direction it goes in, mm. To never trust it, because ultimately, I think we've learned that ownership is very like on this front. I think they were they they took a long time in terms of fully making up their mind, making this decision, this decision. And I think um, when the club had like the Canucks didn't just get off to a rough start Um, in January, they kind of imploded out of the gate. And there was that initial chatter of are they going to make a change and that's when the when the narrative was initially like okay they may end up making a change but then it cooled off for for a while especially as the club got on a bit of a run in march thanks to thatcher demko thatcher demko playing out of this world hockey so i think unsustainable (laughs) yeah and then at that point the narrative seemed to be okay he's back for sure And it was at that point when the narrative flipped back and forth that I personally felt that no matter how confident, you know, the messaging seems one way or another in the media, in the lead up to this decision in the off season, I am not going to be able to trust it because we've seen, we've seen, we've seen this chatter both ways change. And so that's where, you know, when the COVID outbreak happened, it again seemed to be, and that was a really tough time for the organization. I think um, that definitely left uh, left some off ice issues, and you know there were people that weren't happy with the way that that was handled. But you know, at that point, there was heat on again, uh, especially amongst the fan base as they kind of uh, understandably, understandably limped to the finish line. Uh, but again, it, it was one of those questions to me, just still in the back of my mind, I still wasn't really convinced that ownership was going to pull, actually pull the trigger. And, um, I think Francesco has always kind of had a soft spot for, uh, Jim Benning among the, the ownership, uh, family there. So I ultimately was mildly surprised that they retained Jim Benning, but I don't think like, I'm not one of the people that was. Oh, shocked that they that they had Jim Benning return. Um, it just seemed if you kind of follow the story in the in the flip flopping narrative that it could have really gone either way. So you you brought up Thatcher Demko there and how he potentially maybe saved Benning's job. Um, and I mean, we've seen what Ian Clark can do. Um, you look at how good Bobrovsky was when he was. With Bobrovsky, you look at how good Markstrom was, and and then you look at those two goalies without Ian Clark. And I don't think it's a secret to say that Sergei Bobrovsky is no longer the Ian Clark <laughs> Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, I don't know what could give me that assessment. Um, Jacob Markstrom wasn't very good this year. Now I think, in fairness to him, um, we're not going to evaluate this season based on how weird it was. But you sign Thatcher Demko to five years, twenty like 25 mil. So you've committed to Demko. Um, to me, I think this is twofold, maybe. If I'm Thatcher Demko, I don't know that I sign that contract until I know that Ian Clark has been re-signed. And from a Canucks perspective, you've clearly seen how good Ian Clark is. What the actual hell is the holdup here? Because you would think, like, this guy 
would be probably one of the most important members of the organization to retain, given that you just gave Thatcher Demko $25 million. Right. So that's definitely an interesting, interesting, and, and, and it's kind of the burning question right now in Vancouver is the status of Ian Clark uh, because of, uh, of exactly what you mentioned in terms of his track record and reputation. And it was, I don't think I've ever seen a full court press um, amongst uh, for, for a player essentially advocating that hard for a coach to get re-signed. Like we had Dr. Demko um, near the end of the season saying that he desperately hopes Ian Clark is back. Uh, Mike DiPietro, who's Vancouver's top goaltending prospect, probably going to be their backup goal in a couple of years, um, went on and I believe it was an uh, uh, NHL uh, availability called Ian Clark the best goalie coach in the world. And so understandably you want him back. And I think the holdup for starters was, and it was puzzling to me because goalie coaches aren't usually tied to their head coaches. Like you've had, for instance, for right. instance, Benoit Allaire in, in New York go through multiple regime changes, both um, mm-hmm. in management and, um, and, and in terms of head coaching. Uh, but that was what the Canucks kind of, how the Canucks approached it, where they weren't going to focus on any of their assistants or Ian Clark until they had decided one way or another on Travis Green. And I think, so that was number one part of it. And then number two is, by all accounts, from what I've heard, Ian Clark and Jim Benning have a good relationship. Ian Clark has enjoyed his time in Vancouver. Um, he wanted to come back. And I think... Even between Benning and Clark, there's been honest and open communication throughout the season. But again, it kind of comes down to, and this is where I talked a lot about ownership taking accountability. Like this isn't a Jim Benning thing. This is about ownership and whether they were willing to actually spend the dough, right? Because even if you look at the Travis Green contract extension, they finally got it done um, just this uh, just last week. But this was an extension that should have been done after the bubble playoff uh, run. Mm. And you had Jim Benning consistently advocating that, Hey, I want Travis. I'd like Travis Green back. I think he's done a good job as head coach of this hockey club. And so it's confusing to, it's kind of confusing to me because if you have a general manager that believes in his head coach believes in um, Ian Clark, then why aren't those extensions? Why haven't they been taken care of? Well, well in advance considering that there's no cap space or there's no salary cap on how much you can spend on staff, especially for a big market, bigger market team like the Vancouver Canucks. And that's where, again, it, it comes down to, I think ownership. And, and now that they've re-signed green, the Canucks are making that uh, press to try and retain Clark. But the problem is Ian Clark, he knows his value, right? So even though he wants to come back, he's at the point where when he was in Columbus and the Blue Jackets kind of didn't prioritize and get ahead of the curve in trying to prioritize re-signing Clark, there became a point um, uh, in the season where Clark already knew he was leaving. Um, and that often happens when you have exp- uh, people on expiring contracts that you don't um, kind of take care of in advance. And so now it's one of those situations where if Clark is going to come back, he's going to want um, a very, very handsome extension. And I think that's where, um, you know, there, there's going to have to be a decision made of is ownership willing to go longer than the two years of term that Benning and Green each have matching on their current contracts. And I think that's the current holdup. And so the Canucks are, they're going to have to back up the Brink, Brinks truck 
trunk truck, sorry, right now if they're going to uh, want to bring uh, Ian Clark back. And I feel like they should. They should, for sure. I don't sure. think that's a, a, non, think that's like, that's a non-negotiable here. Yeah. All right, man. You, we're reaching the end, so we'll just do this one last one rapid fire because uh, you have much better places to be than than talking to the two of us. I mean, I really don't, real. but thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of a lot of clubs open there in, in Vancouver right now. No. You, know, you got to hit that. Or, no. Yeah, it, it's it's tough. Um, the you know it's going to be a really interesting off season, like you said. So I guess before we end, just hit us with your you know rapid fire predictions. What do you think the Canucks are, are going to do? And what's just, realistic to expect? Yeah. Is it more pain? Is it going to be fun? Let's find out. Yeah. Um, prediction. That's a really good question. Um, I think, uh, I wonder if the Canucks try and like JT Miller played center ice when Pedersen went down with injury during the second half of the season. I wonder if they stick Miller at three C going into next season and then try and acquire middle six help on the wings and then try and build out a third line that way. Um, and, and try and use Miller to kind of stabilize and build a third line that can actually hold its own. And so that way that from that perspective, I think that they would prioritize trying to find uh, top nine winger help. I haven't really thought about who specifically they may target um, yet, especially because the club is kind of in a precarious position in terms of they don't have a lot of flexibility one, once Pedersen and Hughes signed to really make huge splashes. Um, I wonder if... Right, because you've got... Yeah, like you've got Pedersen, and then if you look at your wingers, you've got, okay, you've got Besser, you've got Horvat as the 2C, presumably you've Holglander. I'm assuming Vasily Podkolzin yeah. will be somewhere in the lineup, though like I would shelter him because you don't want to mess that up. Um, like, what else is there that they could do? Are we talking about maybe they need to find guys um on bargain deals i think so i i think that would probably be the most realistic outcome uh, but in terms of a hot take and i don't actually know if this is going to happen this is just me wondering Here we go i wonder if they i i generally wonder if Brayden holby is going to be back as a canuck or not i wonder if they look at his um cap space making 4.3 million dollars and whether it's trying to find a way to send him to seattle um or if they can't find a suitor on the trade market trying to you know considering a buyout to try and open up that extra cap space to to make meaningful upgrades i wonder if that's a path that they consider because demko solidified himself as a starter right now so um i wonder if that's uh, that's an avenue that they explore wow and I'm I'm just gonna drop this grenade and run away. Also, I don't think they're smart enough to do, to do this with the cap implications. But Jack Eichel, maybe? No, they 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 don't have the expendable pieces. I mean, you'd have no. to be talking about moving a, a guy like Pedersen to really make uh, a run at uh, at Eichel there. So I don't see that one happening. But um, yeah, it, it's going to be really fascinating offseason in Vancouver. And before anyone. Um, you know, usually they call it radios me or when you say something on radio, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. this is like the whole yeah. thing is not based off any Intel. So like, don't quote me on that. This okay. is just me thinking this isn't me reporting. The title of the podcast is Holpies being yeah. bought out. And I'm going to make sure to cut out that context at the end when we use our little audio clip to promo it. It'll be great. Don't worry. Thanks guys. <laughs> you can That's interesting you though. So 
Yeah. It's going to splice together all your audio. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Man, well, thank you so much for joining us. This this has been so much fun. It's going to be extremely interesting to see what goes down there. And, you know, if one thing Canucks can look forward to is they have a wonderful reporter in Harmon Dial. I've totally fucked your name up at the start, so I sincerely apologize for that. No worries at all. uh, they have a fantastic reporter following along with all and just reporting every day on all the pain. So that's the best you can ask for in these circumstances, for sure. <laughs> Check it out on theathletic.com. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me.